Good afternoon. It is a gloomy day in Florida, which is very, very unusual. It's Friday, September 21st, and this is Chickie Fitzgerald with the Executive Girlfriends Group. I am so excited uh, to talk to our next guest. Uh, we actually had the pleasure of doing another show, Uncommon Giving, uh, this morning, talking about the benefit of high-integrity giving and how it impacts profitability. So uh, our, our uh, next guest is uh, a very, very versatile uh, author and consultant. And uh, may I welcome our guest, Sure. Uh, now I'm going to mispronounce it again, Cherie. <laughs> Cherie. Oh, Cherie DeMaio. Thank you. <laughs> did I do it right this time? You did, Cherie DeMaio. That's correct. DeMaio. Okay, okay. Now I really goofed it up. I, uh, I That's okay. Wrong. <laughs> All right, terrific. Well, um, why don't we start off by you just giving us a little bit of your life background. Mm-hmm. I always like for our listeners to know you on a personal level and not just as an author because you oh, have absolutely. a lot of dimensions to you. Absolutely. Well, I guess the best way to describe it is I was born an army brat, so to speak, but by two years old I moved to the farmlands of Ohio and uh, then got uh, very much entrenched in what I consider, you know, the best place to learn work ethic is when you either have been in a military environment, in a farming environment, or in a blue-collar environment. You know, all of those environments have high work ethic and, and just high, uh, a high level and sense of duty. And, and so growing up in that environment, what was really interesting is I was always, you know, just this creative kind of thinking outside the box. Sometimes it got me in trouble. <laughs> and, uh, and, and just knew that as much as I loved, you know, where I grew up and and have such fond memories that there was something more that I could do. And it wasn't that I thought less of of those professions, but I knew that I was meant to do something else. And so uh, eventually, you know, went to college, put myself through college. And uh, and what's really interesting is, you know, as my senior year of high school, I – you know, took Latin, and, and I was convinced I wanted to be an attorney. I wanted to be a lawyer. And my art teacher convinced, you know, just really, uh, you know, inspired me with my artistic ability and my creativity. And uh, my senior year, I decided that I wanted to go for a, an art scholarship, and then, and, then, and then I received it. And as I really looked at whatever made me think at 17 years old, if I would be happy at four years, 40 years old, um, as an attorney, and I decided I'd be happier, uh, you know, following my passion and love of, of writing and, and art and everything else, that that's the road I took. And so uh, out of college, I, my, my, my father's daughter, we fell in love, you know, and uh, I ended up moving to an area where you couldn't get a, a great job with a big agency. So I was what you would call a reluctant entrepreneur. I started freelancing as a graphic designer. And and found that uh, I I immediately saw a niche with the small to mid market companies not really being served, but because I could write and because I could design, they assumed that I knew marketing, you know, because I could create the brochures. And so I literally went back to school for marketing and public relations and everything to to teach myself for one because that's not something I learned in the Institute of Art and Design. <laughs> you just learned how to be a great, you know, advertising artist and things like that. And so so as I continued to learn, 
I realized there was a real missing link in working with my clientele around uh, marketing and, and running a business and everything else. So I determined that part of my mission was to help uh, business owners become more savvy marketers and become more savvy managers in their in their business. And so I was always looking internally because I was evolving from what I called self-employed to a business owner, and then probably within 10 years, my company's 28 years old, I evolved into uh, an entrepreneur, literally, you know, because there's different levels of that. And then and then also getting into an executive shareholder mindset is a whole nother level of that. And so, you're, you know, your listeners, you know, of all different backgrounds can relate to all of these different levels that I've been through, depending on what level they're at. And... And so as I built my business, and of course then family came along, I, I, I joke and say my oldest daughter is my company of 28 years old, and then I have three other daughters that are 25 now, 21 and 13, if you can imagine that. Oh, my and, God. And so, and so it was really at the time probably where it really hit me the most was right before I became pregnant with my third daughter and I was growing a business and I was doing, you know, I was doing so much and I was determining that I was frustrated quite frankly. I was frustrated because I wasn't get I wasn't achieving all I wanted in my life and in my business. Um one would do well and then the other wouldn't or you know, you know, I'd have to let, right. you know, hold something back is I guess what you would say it and so you know I just determined you know this is probably about 15 years ago I determined that the whole work-life balance just doesn't work I mean I just (laughs) and and being being very achievement oriented that to me really sucked I don't know how to say it any other way because I'm like okay then what are the options you know what is the options and so Again, I looked back inside, and I also looked at, you know, by that time, you know, my business is 20, I've been in business for 13 years. I also didn't just look at me, but I looked at some of the struggles that my clientele were going through, um, their, their, the business owners and executives themselves as well as their employees. And, and then it just hit me, uh, literally, I had this huge epiphany that the reason that work-life balance doesn't work is we're pitting our work and our life against each other. And, oh, by the way, work is a part of our life. So why are we putting them against each other? It is one aspect of our life. Well, and, and so, I want to jump in here yes. really quickly because the interesting thing about uh, kind of the core group of the Executive Girlfriends group, <clears throat> um, that you know, really the group that helped me found the Executive Girlfriends group uh, back in 2008, is we had uh, this group that would get together every year at, at uh, industry conferences, and we had actually formalized it into an executive women's forum, and it was a mm-hmm. by-invitation-only event for senior women who were either the most uh, senior person in their company, which unfortunately sometimes uh, you know, was a director, mm-hmm. and, uh, or you know, it could certainly be those that reported to the C-suite, and we had a, a handful of people who were in the C-suite. Yes. But when we, every year when we would have people put their hands up. First of all, we'd ask the work-life balance question. Yes. When somebody would put their hands up, we would pretty much just say you're lying. Yes. <laughs> you know, who's mastered life balance? Yeah. Okay. But the other thing that was is very unique about our audience on the Executive Girlfriends Group is 90% of the women in the room were the breadwinners of their family. Mm-hmm. 
okay? Mm-hmm. And sometimes their their husbands worked. Other times their husbands didn't work at all. And, you know, whether they had kids or not, you know, or, or what life phase they were in, you know, their husbands <clears throat> did different things from playing golf to, to mm-hmm. nothing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it was interesting because in those days, uh, well, I've always been the breadwinner of my family. Mm-hmm. And uh, in those days, uh, you know, I had fairly young children. My kids are, are 12 and 14 now. And uh, my husband was Mr. Mom. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. lo and behold, last November, my husband, at age 61, got the phone call to go work for the company he had wanted to work for for 12 years. Wow. He moved to Florida. <laughs> and he went back to work. Wow, that's great. All the time. Oh, it's great, except for I had never been a mother to my children. I mean, uh-huh. like in the real truest sense. Yes. You know, we had a nanny in, in the early days when life was good and business was good and the economy was good. Mm-hmm. And when it all tanked, uh, you know, well, she happened to get married, and, and so she would have left anyway. But now I, I'm having to balance. I mean, life balance has taken on a whole new meaning. And uh, we were talking with, with our producer, Patty Brinkman, uh, before we started the call. And, you know, I could not live my life now without her in my life to mm-hmm. cover when my husband's out of town and when I have to travel on business because I'm in the middle of starting up a new business. So mm-hmm. let me let me just kind of set the stage for the rest sure. of our discussion with our, our listeners because um, the story that you have told is, is I think, really poignant and, and many people will, will relate to getting to that place of, of really – you know what? What's next? And, and yes. you know, am I doing what I really want to do? So this book is really for any, and, and it says any entrepreneur right. who wants more. But I think it's anybody who wants more. And 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 well, you know, what's been interesting because, about it is, you know, my my vision is, uh, you know, I'm having a series of this book for the corporate executive. But it, it, what what is interesting is how many. Uh, uh, people in the workforce, uh, graduating students, for goodness sake, and, and executives are getting this book and reading it because it truly does resonate with everybody. It has just taken a life of its own because it's it's speaking a language that people are saying, you know what, this makes sense to me and this seems more empowering because part of the problem with balance is you're pitting the two against each other. You feel guilty. You feel like you have to leave, you know, let something go for a while because the whole concept of balance is you have to have them equal in order for it to be balanced. And <laughs> and so the other problem with work-life balance and pitting them together is you're not really looking at yourself. You're looking externally and letting it affect who you are. Right. versus looking at yourself so and empowering you to be all that you can be in your life, which includes the work aspect as well. So shifting from that perspective, and that's why the book is called Me, Myself, and Ink, because it's about the three aspects of you, and I joke in the book, but it's the truth. The reason work-life balance doesn't work is you can't divide three by two. <laughs> and so and so that that's, I think, what's been very exciting as people embrace the idea of who they are and who they want to be, how that helps them shift very comfortably into actually achieving more of what they want to achieve in their life and in their work roles because they're they're understanding themselves better, quite frankly. Right. And, you know, the entrepreneurial story, you know, this, this concept of more sometimes we actually think we want less because mm-hmm. we're we're working too much we're we're doing all mm-hmm. of these things but the concept of more is if you get more business more success you can actually eke out 
more time, more money, more ability mm-hmm. to give, mm-hmm. definitely more satisfaction. And, you know, because money kind of is at the core of, of particularly for the entrepreneur, of that ability to take all those things that you have done yourself because you had to. I mean, mm-hmm. I can create a website. Should I be creating websites? Exactly. Absolutely not. I can do graphic design. Am I the best graphic designer? Not by a long shot. But when you're an entrepreneur and you have to do things, those things, it's usually because you're saying, well, you know, I can't take that next step because if I only had that next client. But mm-hmm. uh, it's funny because Patty and I were talking in between the two shows and, you know, she uh, this week has had to run back and forth to pick up my kids and my son uh, goes to an all-boys school, but it's way on the other side of town. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're looking at moving him to the same school that my daughter goes to, but of course, you know, she goes to a private school and that costs money. And it's like, well, if only we have this next thing. So right. talk to us about this concept of how more, and actually multiplication rather than dividing yourself. Right, more. right. Well, I think, you know, I think one of the, you, you shared a couple of things that stood out because in, in my book I talk about um, wishful thinking mindsets and fearful thinking mindsets that hold people back or keep people from really understanding how they can uh, be more effective in, 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 in achieving what they want in their life while, while they're working as well. And uh, two things stood out to me as you were talking there and one is that fear of losing control and the fear of taking risk. Those are two particular fearful thinking mindsets. And then, you know, the whole aspect of uh, wishful thinking goes around the, if only I had more of this, if only I had more time, more confidence, more options, fewer options, you know, uh, it just, it goes on and on. And, um, and so as, and I spent a lot of time uh, confirming and, and making sure I hadn't missed any of the fearful thinkings and wishful thinkings, but before finalizing this book, and they just truly resonate with people. And I can honestly say I've been through every single one of them. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Probably more than one. Well, I, I, before we dive into that topic, because that, yeah. a lot of the things that you mentioned were, are actually in section two of the book, sure. I like to give the layout of the book, uh, particularly for those who are listening to us on Blog Talk Radio, because quite often they're listening or they've downloaded us uh, on iTunes. Mm-hmm. Um, section one of the book is called why work-life synergy, and we we touched on a little bit of that, but let me just read the chapter titles, and then we'll dive into my favorites uh, about this. Sure. Um, The first chapter is Stop Balancing, Start Synergizing. Chapter two is Rewiring Your Thinking to Create Goal Synergy. Chapter three, Whose Goals Are They Anyway? And by the way, that's the one I want to come back to when I finish reading these, so you can be thinking about the story you want to tell about that. Sure. Chapter four is the balancing act, and I think we've been alluding to that as we go along. Chapter five is the juggling entrepreneur, and anybody I know who is an entrepreneur is juggling a zillion things. Chapter six, perceptions versus reality, allowing goals to happen. Chapter seven, self-reflection versus self-infliction, goals and conflict. Okay, I think we've already touched on that too. Chapter eight, from conflict to purpose. And chapter nine, business and personal, putting it all together. Now, this is all just section one of the book. Yes. So, why don't we talk about this before we go to the next one? Sure, be so happy who, to. Whose goals are they anyway, and how do we let somebody else impose goals on us? Yes, well, you know that one is is a, is a favorite discussion topic. So, I'm glad you 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 inquired about that because because one of the things 
that I talk about is the fact that we can have goals imposed upon us and we can, as leaders, um, managers, directors, you know, owners, whatever role we play, can also be goal imposers. And and so one of the things I tell people to look at both in if you know understanding if their goal is truly their goal. Let's talk about that first because you may have a goal that you, you know, and many times it's a goal that just keeps reappearing over and over again <laughs> and never right. quite gets achieved. A lot of times I, I have people look at that because it may be that that's really a goal that's been imposed upon them, so they're not really being it's not really being embraced. And the three areas that it, the traps is what I call them they fall into is a pride trap. Um, because you're trying to make somebody proud, and that's probably more in a younger, you know, younger mindset, uh, executive mindset, or uh, entry-level employee, or even when you were younger. But you'd be amazed at how many people, even in, at our age, are still trying to make somebody proud or some, you know, someone in their life proud of what they're doing. Okay, so they have this right. goal from a, to make someone proud um, or to make someone happy is the other uh, trap, or to, um, uh, because they feel obligated to have this um, goal and achieve this goal, um, or they committed to something and then some things changed and they just don't know what to do um, because they believe in commitment. There's, you know, those are some examples. So as a, as a leader, executive, um, and manager, it's important to think, okay, am I possibly imposing this, you know, a goal on somebody else? And 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 you know the way the way achievement happens, whether it's in life or whether it's at work, is that you embrace and you really truly believe in uh, what you are trying to achieve, not because of what it, what the achievement itself, but what it ultimately will mean, not only for you but for others. And so, if there is a a goal being imposed, and I'm going to share, a, I'll share a personal example, but then I'll share. Um, a, a, a business example. You know, a personal example is that I had the goal uh, for several years of I just had these 10 or 15 pounds that I wanted to get off, and I was basing it on a weight, a certain weight that I felt that I should be. And I could, I just, you know, again, I, it, I wasn't overweight, but I just felt I needed to be this certain weight. And what I realized as I explored this whole concept of uh, you know, work-life synergy and, and, and values and everything is that I had the wrong goal. My goal wasn't really about getting to a certain weight. What, according to my values, it should have been and what it turned and, and converted itself to was I wanted to be strong and flexible and, and have a lot of vitality and energy right. um, so that I could give more and be more for others. Um, from a health standpoint and from a physical ability standpoint. When I shifted to that, gosh, you know what happened? I got down to that weight after years of trying, after years of trying. And so on a personal level, I always like to show, share personal and you know work because it's important for people to see the synergy between the two because obviously as I felt better and had more energy, boy, guess what? I could accomplish a lot more and do a lot more because I felt more excited and, and able and everything else. You know, so on the, the work front, a lot of times, especially on uh, the executive and management level, um, there are goals for the company, and then managers uh, or you know will will impose. This is what your goal needs to be to be successful in your particular position. 
instead of really embracing the individual, finding out what their passions and value, because you know, obviously they were brought into that position because they have skill sets, competencies, and everything else. And so helping that individual voice the goal that will help support your goals versus imposing and directing them what their goals will be. Uh, it, it makes an incredible difference uh, to achievement within uh, a, a department or the workforce itself. All right. Well, let's let's jump to section two of the book, which mm-hmm. we we started talking about overcoming what holds you back, and and in the story that you just shared, uh, you know, some of those things came through. Mm-hmm. So again, I'd like to just read through the chapters, and then I'll give you a clue about what I'd like uh, to talk sure. about. So. Chapter 10 is Letting Go What Enslaves You. Chapter 11, Choices, Choices Everywhere. Chapter 12, If Only I Had More Confidence. Chapter 13, It Takes Money to Make Money Unless You Don't Have It. Uh, That's actually where I'd like to start. (laughs) Chapter 14, Making Time Your Greatest Asset. Um, you know, I think I want those two to dovetail because, sure. uh, again, those, those are the two things that most entrepreneurs get wrapped around the axle on. Uh, chapter 15, gaining support in life and work. Chapter 16, failure is not an F word. Uh, actually, I know from firsthand experience that it is the greatest teacher. Mm-hmm. Chapter 17, success your way every day. That's the hope chapter. Uh, mm-hmm. Chapter 18, nobody does it better, the control trap. Uh, uh, and uh, I certainly resemble that, although not for the reasons I think you're talking about here. Uh, <laughs> chapter 19, playing it too safe. Uh, that is not me. I am the biggest risk taker I know. Uh, <laughs> chapter 20, being a business daredevil. Oh, there you have me. Yep, yep, <laughs> sounds like so it. So <laughs> I, I know everyone who's listening, uh, at least one or more of those resonated. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna dive into the ones that resonate with me just because just because I can. Yes. <laughs> so let's talk about this thing about it, it. It takes money to make money. That that is something that we have heard forever. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, most entrepreneurs know that if you stick at at one thing long enough, that that it actually can come to fruition. I, I uh, One of my favorite stories is actually one from a, a blog by Seth Godin, and it was, a, you know, like most of Seth's blogs, very short, and I've mm-hmm. made it into a, a longer story, but I'll try to shorten it. Two neighbors come out of the house at the same time in the morning. They both have shovels and a bag full of, of seeds, and the one neighbor gets into his truck, and he, he drives all over town and plants seeds all over town, digging, you know, digging, planting, digging, planting, and by the end of the day, he he comes home and he is exhausted. And the neighbor across the street uh, has taken his shovel and he has dig a, uh, dug a very deep hole, gotten in his truck and gone to Home Depot, gotten a very big, beautiful tree, come home, planted the tree, uh, and has it all uh, situated and is sitting under the tree uh, enjoying a cool lemonade when mm-hmm. the other guy gets home. And, you know, I realized so much of my entrepreneurial life was spent planting seeds all mm-hmm. over town rather mm-hmm. than focusing. So, let me turn it over to you. It takes money to make money unless you don't have it, and then uh, the corollary of making time your great, greatest asset. Well, and I think before I talk about both of those, I think it's important to share something from the first section because this will help people understand some of what I talk about And because throughout overcoming what holds you back, I, there, what I talk about in the first section are three promises that uh, I learned from my grandmother, didn't get until I was in business for myself and an adult. But as I wrote this book, 
took and identified fabulous examples, these three promises resonated with everybody. They truly were practicing these three promises. And so the first one is, I will find a way or make a way by helping others find a way or make a way. The second one is, I won't feel guilty about making life easier for myself. Big one. (laughs) And the third one is, I will be open to all possible resources and support. And so I felt it was important to share these before I get into the, it takes money to make money unless you don't have it. Because, yeah, everyone loves the the title of that chapter because, especially in a down economy, you you just feel such a crunch because we, you know, we are ruled in so many ways. We feel like, let's put it that way, we are ruled by the almighty dollar and what we can and cannot do because we do or don't have it. And so what I try to bring to the table, both on a life front as well as a work front, is that we really have not just money as a resource. We have three resources at our disposal, and they are money, of course, but there's also time, which we're going to talk about in a moment, and there's also other people and technology. And this has proven to be uh, so profound in helping individual shift and helping people shift um, at work as to how they can leverage um, the capability. And this really helps you uh, get to the core of what, where you're most valuable and where others are most valuable so you can all achieve something together. You know, I'll share a very um, interesting example of, um, you know, it takes money to make money um, because I was, uh, one of the examples in the book is about my company where uh, I was sitting at midnight uh, because a, a client who was going to have some printing done for themselves uh, totally dropped the ball and the night before this big event needed the printing done and I was supposed to come to their res- rescue. <laughs> And so I'm at midnight at, you know, a FedEx office, it was Kinko's at the time, um, thinking, okay, there has got to be a better way. Why am I? You know, I'm the owner of the company, but I was the one. I didn't want to make my employees do that, you know. So, you know, I didn't want to call them and ruin their weekend. You know, I I did it instead, you know. And, And so... And so I'm sitting there at midnight. I'm literally emailing to my, you know, office manager, even though she's not going to get it till the next morning, but I was just venting while I was waiting for this printing to happen, that there has got to be a different way. And so what was interesting is I was part of a barter exchange. And so that gets at the example of using other resources, using other people's time, using, you know, getting creative in how you right. um, use uh, opportunities. And so I said, is there by chance a um, barter partner there that has a fabulous BizHub machine that if we ever need to do something uh, fast and furious for a client, we can just do it on site, and it'll be more, uh, more, you know, uh, profitable for us and everything else. Well, lo and behold, there was. And so we brought this BizHub in, and because we did it on a barter level, um, the exchange rate of what the retail value was compared to what the cost of our, you know, uh, bartering of our time and ability ended up costing us half the amount if we would have paid dollar for it. And so we have made significant profit from that since then. Um, then, you know, I can just offer it to clients, and so they're more than willing to have us do the small quantities because a lot of times they were doing the small quantities because they thought it would be too expensive to do it through us. 
So, you know, so that was using other people's time, using technology and, you know, just everything more effectively. So, you know, sometimes it takes a crisis to force you into thinking, okay, there's got to be a better way. Uh, but, but I think, too, uh, you know, looking at uh, other people's time and technology in, in, in uh, a way that really uh, honors you so that you can be at your best is, is why looking at all possible resources and support is so, so powerful. Um, a good example of that segues into the time asset, and, and I have to share the story that I share in the book because it's so poignant, is this is around 1995, and this is when my office was in my home still, uh, one room over the garage, and uh, my office manager at that time were sitting across, you know, each other. Our desks were basically across from each other in the same room, right? And right. and I just look up exasperated and say, oh, if only there were more hours in the day. <laughs> <laughs> and and she said, well, Cherie, you have just the, amount, the same amount of time as everybody else. It's just a matter of the way you use it. And, of course, I wanted to slap her <laughs> because right. that's, not, that's not what I wanted her to say. I wanted to say, okay, it's okay, Cherie, come on, you can do it. But she said exactly what I needed to hear because she is absolutely right. Time is an asset that we are all equally delved every single day. And so it is a matter of where you put your time. And so with that in mind, it totally, I mean, literally, I did a major shift that day. I will never forget that day for as long as I live because I viewed time as an asset from that point forward. And But I also, very important, viewed everyone else's time as an asset, too. So my time wasn't more valuable than anyone else. Not only is our time uh, uh, del- delved out the same, our time is the same value, okay? And so I looked for everything from doctor's offices that valued time that they would get me in and out in 15 minutes. I, I looked for all aspects, and I even really scrutinized my my own use of time, and that gets at delegating more, I found, uh, uh, actually I had to almost trick myself into um, delegating more, um, and it came down to my value of not wasting anybody's resources, but we bill by the hour as a consulting and uh, a, a services firm, and I had various tiers of billing around uh, everything from administrative functions within the company all the way up to you know the high level consulting. Well of course high level consulting is what my clients want me to be doing and I have people that can do the administrative functions but I would get caught in the oh you know either the control trap or the fear of letting go trap and I would do things that should be handed off okay So what I did was I looked at the billable rate, and I raised my billable rate in the administrative aspect. The minute I raised my billable rate, I stopped doing administrative stuff because I felt too guilty about charging the clients more. Right. And and that was, you know, sometimes you have to do, get, you know, really take a hard look at yourself, and that's where the, you know, you're seeing me talk about values a lot, but that's what comes at the problem most profoundly is when you start to look at your values, you come up with really great solutions and sometimes great ways to get yourself back on track so that you can be doing what you truly should be doing and enjoying what you ultimately want to be enjoying. Right. Well, so we have talked about, you know, kind of why you need to get these things in sync. We've talked about some of the things that keep you from getting Mm -hmm. it in sync. Now I want to talk about what being in sync and having this synergy in motion looks like. Mm -hmm. And so section three of the book is all about that. Mm -hmm. So uh, the chapters in this section are Burden Turns Golden, 
Chapter 22 is No Waiting in Line. Chapter 23, Life is Good and Getting Better. Chapter 24, Thanks for Spanx. And uh, the uh, founder of Spanx is one of the people I believe you interviewed for the book. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, So we'll talk about that. Chapter 25, One Big Family. Chapter 26, Sweet Taste of Success, which if I have to guess is is, uh, the story of the Ben and Jerry ice Mm -hmm, cream. And then uh, Chapter 27, Paper Trails, Customers for Life. So let's talk about some of the interviews that you did for the book. And I know that that was foundational to, uh, you know, telling the story and that you wove your own story in with their Mm -hmm. stories. Yes, it was basically a combination of research mm -hmm. and interviewing. And and, and, and in this particular section, I look at specific companies that truly embrace the idea of synergy and the ideas of overcoming what holds you back. Uh, from the entrepreneurial perspective, obviously these are all very, you know, um, entrepreneurs. Some very well known, of course. And um, but I think what you know is impressive, specifically about Ben and Jerry's, is the fact that you know they are a publicly held company now, but they have still embraced uh, the foundational approach of how they do things, and that is why their brand is so sacred. Quite frankly, in everything that they do, even how their managers operate their stores with this synergistic mindset, uh, it's it's very, very uh, exciting and and powerful. Right. And I think that, uh, you know, I think what is important, one thing we didn't really talk about was the differentiation between me, myself, and Inc. And the me is the friends, family, community, you. That's the part of the person that gets shared with everybody else. The myself is the individual you, which typically is the one that's put on the back burner in most cases. And the ink is the professional or business you. And so by looking at all three aspects of, of, of who you are and how that relates to what you want to achieve, what, what we found in regard to especially with these examples in Section 3 is that they truly understood how to have a life and a business that they loved. Um, they weren't putting the life on the back burner like a lot of entrepreneurs or even executives do, thinking, okay, we can enjoy life later. Um, They were truly, truly um, embracing the three promises so that they could love their life and, 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 what I say, love their work and live their life, um, which which is exciting. Uh, and it doesn't mean there weren't challenges along the way. I mean, when you look at um, uh, when you look at Sarah, you know, Blakely with um, Spanx. I mean, she had to overcome a lot of obstacles. But what was really interesting about her is she had this tenacity. First of all, the one thing she didn't have a fear of is the word no. That didn't phase her because she had such a, a strong sales background that she learned that no was just another opportunity for a yes later on kind of a thing. Right. And exactly. and quite frankly, she truly had at her core a values and purpose for why she was doing what she was doing that it just so um, ingratiated whoever was around her that she just got so many people to rally with her to accomplish what most people would not have been able to accomplish in getting her company off the ground. Right. And and then you see where it's at now at the billion you know mark or whatever. So um, it, it it and and she continually embraces that with her partnerships and, and trying to, um, you know, be be more than just a company, but be be someone who is really 
trying to make a difference, kind of like what we're talking about in the other radio show, uh, that really feeds to the first promise of finding a way or making a way by helping others find a way or make a way. And you see right. that throughout this book as well, that that's very, because what happens, okay, when you help people find a way or make a way, um, that which also helps you find a way or make a way, you get an incredible network of people that are ready to help because you were willing to help them. And so ideas come out of the surface you would have never thought of. Contacts, resources come out of nowhere because, you know, these people hear that you need something. You know, the other thing, it's not a statistic shared in this book, but it shows why it's important to synergize uh, your relationships between um, work and life is that what we found in the research that we've done that, that mirrors this statistic is uh, – People who have a satisfying life and achieve uh, uh, at work, success at work, um, are seven times more likely to share what they are trying to do with other people. But the key is they're sharing what they're trying to do on the work front on the personal level with personal relationships, and they're sharing what they're trying to do on a personal front with their work relationships. And so as a result, they're, they're doubling their network of access to somebody or something that could help them achieve that. Mm. Well, that's a that is a, a discipline and, and something, uh, and a, it goes back to one of those things that you have to overcome of trying to do everything yourself and not right. asking for help. Right. And you know, I think that 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 actually runs rampant um, because people don't know how to ask for help. And you you told the story earlier um, when we were talking about uh, you know the it takes money to make money. Right. Uh, about this whole notion of of barter and exchange, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I in my previous business when we were starting up, you know, we were exchanging equity uh, mm-hmm. for work, and you know, I had a number of people who who worked for me who did that, and unfortunately, that particular business did not succeed. So the equity becomes you know something that is not at all valuable. Right. But learning how to exchange uh, things, and, and particularly in tough times. Um, yes. you know, I, I have spent the last couple of days with, with uh, one of my closest friends over uh, in Orlando at the, the uh, Children's Miracle Network Conference, and we had a lot of time to think while the, the hospitals were over in, in their sessions. And, you know, she was talking about how uh, her accountant came to the house the other night and, uh, you know, because the tax, the corporate taxes were due and, and she really didn't have the funds to write him a check for that. Mm-hmm. And she said, and she asked him, you know, how's business for you? And he said, well, you know, it's really been down a little bit. And she said, do you have a website? And he said, well, not a very good one. And she said, mm-hmm. well, how about if I do a website for right. you? And, you know, just right on the spot. She solved her problem. Right. She solved his problem. Well, and, and I think the business. Exactly. Well, I think one of the challenges, and I talk about the book with bartering, is too often, and I know there's going to be some you know, heads nodding when they listen to this, is that the problem with bartering sometimes, uh, in, in many cases too, is when it's a one-to-one bartering situation, sometimes the person that is requesting the bartering uh, needs the service more than the person that's going to reciprocate. <laughs> and so what happens is one side gets honored and the other one just kind of sits there and nothing ever happens. And so there's this huge frustration and annoyance with the concept of bartering. And so that's why I'm a big believer. And what's really interesting is bartering is happening on a uh, consumer level now as well as a business-to-business level. So it's, you know, these consortium of ways that you can 
you know, everything from sharing, swapping homes so you can go vacation or even sharing vacation homes or just there's all different ways that you can um, get creative with when you have what is a, like a bartering pool concept. And that seems to be so much better because then you're not doing a, a tit-for-tat type of bartering when you may not ultimately need that because what happens is you kind of feel, okay, well, yeah, I'll give you, the, you know, I'll give you this service when you don't really maybe need that type of a thing, you know, and that's where you have to know, you know, what makes sense. And uh, and so so the bartering pool is is what I, I highly recommend. And, and, and just getting creative, you know, as we were talking about things earlier, uh, one example that I want to share is uh, I'm part of a women executives uh, group here in in Charlotte, North Carolina, and um, something that really touched me is a group of women executives. Uh, a dear uh, uh, member has uh, has diagnosed with Alzheimer's and is getting going into her late uh, stages of Alzheimer's, and and of course you can imagine what that what that is like for her husband, the caregiver. And so what the membership has done to help relieve some of that, and here you're talking busy executive-level women, but right. they're each taking, uh, uh, they're basically created a schedule, a pool of time to give the caregiver husband some relief and also to to just be that friend to this this you know this woman that is suffering this horrible disease, and and so. You know, that to me, those kind of examples, you know, show the power of synergy. And and these women have shared how they, uh, it really brings home to them what's important, what's not important when, when you're, when you're, you know, again, helping someone else find a way. It helps you find your way as well in ways you would have never thought as far as priorities and everything else go. Right. Absolutely. Well, this has been just amazing. I know we're going to schedule another interview with you uh, for those who um, uh, have not listened uh, to the other interview that we did earlier today. Uh, that The topic of that was the link between giving and profitability, and we interviewed two of the CEOs um, that uh, Cherie interviewed for her other book, 50 Marketing Secrets of Growth Companies in Down Economic Times. and. Uh, so watch for uh, some additional interviews that we're going to schedule either on the show Uncommon Giving on Blog Talk Radio or uh, on the Executive Girlfriends Group, which is published on Blog Talk Radio under our Solutions Live brand. Um, I just want to thank you so much, Cherie. Can you give our listeners um, uh, just one last tip, and then I'd like you to share with them how to contact you uh, if they're interested in uh, you know either consulting services or in having you speak to their group, uh, what the best way is to get in touch with you? Well, well I guess one last tip is that uh, to when you're looking at your goals, one of the big questions you need to ask, and also when you're looking at your values, is to truly understand why you have the goals and why you have those values. And then also look at, with each of the values that you put down there, who shares those values. 
because that's going to be critical because then what you want to do is compare your goals to your values and which goals resonate the most with what you value most, you know, what your value principles and guiding principles are, and then take a look at who shares those values, and you're going to have major aha moments as to either why your goals are not being reached because you have no one that shares that particular value, so maybe you need to get part of a network or a, a group that will help resonate that for you, or also looking at a value that is in conflict, it's not being honored, which is keeping you from achieving something. And so I, I, that's, that's been a very profound exercise that the people I've worked with and people that have read this book continue to tell me over and over again that has truly changed things for them. And how I can be reached, uh, you can actually reach me through uh, any of the, the websites. You can reach me through, um, but I'll, I'll go ahead. Is it okay to give, just give my email address? Is that okay? Oh, absolutely. Okay. As, as long as you're fine with it being publicly available. We do make it available to our executive girlfriends group so that they can contact you. Okay, well, then please. that'll be fine. And then basically you just need to go to, for consulting services, you need to go to SLD, that's S as in Sam, L as in Larry, D as in dog, unlimited, Dot com that's sldunlimited.com and you can learn more about how we approach working with um with uh businesses and you can also uh learn more about me in the um the why sld section why us it talks about has my profile there as far as booking me as a speaker as well and uh, I, I just, as you probably can tell, I'm very passionate about the subject matter. I feel like I'm, I'm helping people kind of shift their thinking in a way that's going to positively empower them, and that's what I truly believe my personal mission is. So thank you so much. Well, terrific. It has been a great day, and I, I uh, just look forward to our next discussions uh, on the topic of giving because that, that was really a fascinating one this morning. And, uh, again, the, the whole notion of purpose-based giving, uh, having a values-based business culture, high-integrity giving. Uh, so uh, for folks who'd like to listen to that other show, it is on blogtalkradio.com slash uncommongiving, and it will be the featured uh, show of the week. So. Well, Cherie, it has been uh, terrific, and thank you so much for giving so much of your time today. And Absolutely. I hope you have an amazing uh, rest of the weekend, and I look forward to talking to you next time. Thank you. You as well, and Patty, you too. Thank you. All right, great. And for more information about the Executive Girlfriends Group, you can simply go to www.executivegirlfriendsgroup.com, and we look forward to talking to you next week, Friday at noon Eastern Time. Thanks so much. Thank you.